one of the biggest challenges in the industry is governance. And we can make these conditionals much more granular, much more fine-tuned. And that in and of itself is a huge innovation that opens up and does not limit the possibilities. They allow you to trust cryptography and math and not people. Integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is looking. Hi there, welcome to episode five of our special series on scaling called Zero Barriers, which is brought to you in collaboration with Starkware. I'm Gareth Jenkinson from Cointelegraph. I'm your host for these last two episodes. And I'm joined today by regular on this podcast, Nathan Jaffe from Starkware, who's going to handle the rest of the introductions. Yeah, we're in for quite a ride today because we spend a lot of time in the world of blockchain looking into the future and it feels like we're boarding a time machine of sorts. Uh, we're joined by two absolutely fantastic guests. We're going to let them introduce themselves. We're with Liron and we're with Casper. Liron is with Starkware and Casper is with Herodotus. And we're going to let them tell you a little bit about themselves. So shall we start with Liron? Liron, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Liron Heyman, the head of business development at Starkware. I've been here for just over two years, working mainly with teams in the infrastructure and app layer integrating their products into different services like StarkNet and StarkX. Okay, and Casper? Hi, I'm Casper Kozil. I am the co-founder of Herodotus, a company building historical and cross-chain data access solutions for the Ethereum ecosystem. We've been building Herodotus for about a year right now. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. Fantastic. I think it is great to have both of you gentlemen here to chat about scaling. I mean, that's what this whole podcast has been about. Um, Let's start off with a macro focus, talking about use cases that might be commonplace in the next year or two that aren't quite ubiquitous today, things we're not quite seeing yet that are in development. I think both of you are, are quite well-placed to touch on this, just given your experience and the products and services that uh, are being built by your respective companies. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Casper, there's been a lot of attention on an announcement that you made very, very recently, and you just came back from the StockNet Summit probably still a little bit jet lagged. Tell us about the announcement that you made there because it really, I feel that really kind of gives us a glimpse into the future, into how things are changing and into how you're basically pioneering new use cases. Sure. So what we announced at StarkNet uh, Summit was a historical block hash accumulator. And what it really is, is that Ethereum has been always constrained by its like inability to uh, like arbitrary historical block hashes. And this limitation is quite significant for smart contracts is because in order to verify a proof, to have something to verify this proof against. And since we can't natively access old historical or like block hashes, we built this accumulator such that we can go all the way back to the Genesis block and verify proofs against it. Just given that, I mean, in layman's terms, can you chat a little bit about what that's going to bring to the Ethereum ecosystem and capabilities that are going to be here in a year or two's time but haven't quite been realized yet? Sure. So applications today have like a context of using data that they have available right now. So for example, let's say I would like to build a wallet that allows me to recover funds if I don't use it, like a dead man switch. A smart contract, like an account abstraction wallet might want to be able to check what your nonce was last year and what your nonce is today. And essentially, if this nonce has not changed, you can make uh, an assumption that you have lost access to this wallet. If we want to verify that the nonce was let's say 17 last year, and today it's 17, we would need to verify, like generate a proof that it was 17 and verify it against the block hash. But we don't have access to that block hash. So with this accumulator, we can essentially 
verify this, this proof against the accumulator and be certain that it has not changed and then trigger some sort of recovery mechanism. Liron, um, I, I wrote an article about this for Cointelegraph late last week, and I think there should have been more fanfare around the announcement, to be honest. So maybe you can touch a little bit on the scaling capabilities that are being built by Herodotus in particular, and uh, the use of software sharp technology in order to to facilitate this. Sure. So Casper um, gave a great example. Like it started even simpler than that. One of the biggest challenges in the industry is governance. You have these decentralized uh, organizations. You want to vote. You have a uh, you're a retail user, and it costs you more to vote than the value of your tokens if you want to do this directly on May 1 Ethereum. Through Herodotus technology, you can basically generate a storage proof that given a snapshot of a certain block, these are the balances of all these users with these ERC20 tokens. They've all voted off-chain, yes, no, abstain, whatever it is, and we can now submit a proof that's verified attesting to the results of this um, of this vote. There, there are off-chain voting solutions already today, but they don't leverage the power of these storage proofs, and they can introduce some trust assumptions that can be removed through the power of this technology. And by using the sharp uh, proving technology that we have, you reduce these gas costs, and we can dig deeper into this later on. For listeners who aren't familiar with this, I mean, I think we need to bring to people's attention this very big irony that we have decentralized institutions that are basically using centralized voting because voting in line with the ideals of blockchain is simply too expensive. So in a way, the things that both of you, uh, Liron and Casper, talk about a lot are actually innovations that allow blockchain to realize its own vision. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a really important topic, which is this notion of blockchain as a work in progress that still requires innovation to realize its own vision. Liron, what are your thoughts on that? It's a good question. I will start with what the co-founder of uh, Starcore, Eli Bentasson, likes to say, quoting C.S. Lewis, that integrity is doing the right thing when nobody is looking. And through Stark proofs or validity proofs in general, you now can trust cryptography and math rather than hardware. So historically in the blockchain world, in proof of work systems, you've had the person with the most power wins the blocks. Then you sort of transitioned to other things. With the Stark proofs, I'm just verifying a proof or a stock proof of a storage proof. I'm verifying something that democratizes this because now any retail user with their phone can verify these proofs. And even though these this is such difficult, advanced cryptographic concepts, you trust the cryptography and that sort of is what enables the scale to the masses. Yeah. And I think an important point when we're talking about this kind of technology is how we actually understand this and how we use it. Because perhaps we don't expect everyone to go through this verification, but the point is that anyone can do it. A colleague uh, here at Stock where Louis often talks about, you know, likens it to being in a kitchen. You know, anyone can go in the kitchen and do the preparation for themselves. That doesn't mean that everybody will, but everybody should have the ability to do that. And I think that's a lot of what you're doing at Herodotus. But I'd like to rewind a little because we've all been using this phrase, storage proofs. And we've not actually gone and kind of defined that for our listeners. And as with many terms in blockchain, I think it's one of these terms that actually sounds much more dull and boring than it is. We've spoken about this in previous episodes. Account abstraction is this amazing thing, but the name of it makes it sound very tedious. And the same with storage proofs. Casper, uh, tell us, what is a storage proof and what does it facilitate? Sure. So at Herodotus, we define a storage proof as merging inclusion proofs, which confirm data's presence 
and proofs of computation which validate that the execution of, let's say, a multi-step flow to like attest a single element or multiple elements in a big data set is correct. So this data set could be a whole Ethereum blockchain or a rollup such as Starknet. Then I mean, uh, I guess uh, the key takeaway from that is uh, what is possible from it. I mean, for me as a journalist covering the space and for a layman on the street, you know, these technologies work seamlessly, right? You don't know how your smartphone works, but it, it does a huge amount of complicated things to serve up a fairly seamless user experience. Storage-proof, powered technology, how ubiquitous will it be in the next few years? Casper, and you can answer this more particularly. Yeah, do you see it being adopted, but also under the hood where we're not seeing that it's happening, but this kind of technology is powering the wider Ethereum ecosystem? I think storage crews will be very complementary to current solutions. The reason they're very appealing is because they allow you to trust cryptography and math and not people. We've seen that in Ethereum over time, uh, solutions that rely on like oracles and attestation networks. At the end of the day, what it really is, there's a party on the other side that's providing a signature and attesting to the validity of information. And while this system is functional, it works. It works under the assumptions that, let's say, the economic model is securing let's say a stake is secure, right? It's unchanged. And uh, the protocol that you're securing could potentially have an influx of users and an influx of deposits. And these assumptions may change over time. So the storage proofs end up being more secure alternatives of accessing data and have this additional benefit of unlocking two new dimensions like space and time. So space being able to have data access between different like layer twos and L1, and then at time being able to go back in time to the Genesis block and access any piece of information ever present on the blockchain. Nathan, I'm going to jump in here again quickly. Um, you know, having looked at the StarkNet ecosystem and watched its evolution, especially reporting over the last year, do you see any sort of possibilities or limits to the possibilities of StarkNet powered L2s and the scaling solutions being developed? Because I mean, key examples, I hadn't heard of Herodotus a year ago, and here you are with the, an amazing you know, technological advancement that's going to influence the rest of the Ethereum ecosystem. To even keep things a level higher, yep. the whole innovation of these validity proofs is the asymmetry between verification and the size of the proof. So you can now verify a computation in less time than it takes to go through the entire computation. And that in and of itself is a huge innovation that opens up and does not limit the possibilities. I want you to just kind of explain clearly. Ah. You've said Kassim, it's such an important point. But it takes a little bit of digesting. So if you can unpack that a little bit for us, Liron. I will try to unpack. I'll unpack it with some uh, facts on the ground from StockX, not StockNet. So DYDX, you were trading on their system and they were sending a batch of transactions to Ethereum. And when they started their trading system, they had certain volumes and it came out to 1,500 gas per trade because there was roughly the fixed gas cost on Ethereum to verify the proof. And they had a certain number of trades. Then what happened is the trading volume picked up. It costs the same to verify that proof on Ethereum. And now your gas costs per trade go down from 1,500 gas to 500 gas. So you've unlocked economies of scale in this blockchain world, which never existed before. Beforehand, blockchains had the opposite. Every marginal transaction added a burden to the system. So that, that's what these proofs unlock. The more activity you have, the more everyone benefits. I want to touch on that as well. I think Vitalik has been someone who has been pretty open about L2s and scaling technology being the future of the Ethereum ecosystem and really making it 
be what it's supposed to be in the next few years. Is there a limit to what can kind of be imagined? Like Casper Herodotus has, has developed a, a specific type of technology and Starkware has seen many other technologies developed. From your side, as someone using their technology to build something, do you look at it and say, hey, I could do this, I could do that, that there are endless possibilities? I believe so. Like the way the industry moves forward, whether it's into app chains or more layer twos, it will depend. I think storage proofs, something very unique that they introduce is this distinguish the distinguishment of an asset's economic value and an asset's utility. So you're able to reap the utility of an asset in one location while holding it elsewhere. Whereas before we kind of had walls around layer twos that confined your asset into where it's actually located, where you bridged it. And uh, this kind of puts a very interesting question as to how do we actually define a bridge? Is there a difference when we bridge an asset's economic value or an asset's utility? How do we distinguish that? I wouldn't know how to answer that. <laughs> it's a hard question. Yes. <laughs> but uh, storage groups actually, in many cases, like eliminate the need for bridging. So let's say we have a, a StarkNet app chain and someone wants to launch a game on there. Traditionally, what you would have to do is you would have to have a bridge between your app chain that allows you to move, let's say, an in-game NFT to that chain so we can use it inside the game. But uh, this rely makes sure that you have to actually trust the bridge. You have to have your chain audited because at the end of the day, your asset will be there. So there's going to be economic value stored on that chain. But with storage proofs, what you could do is you could launch an app chain, tell your users to purchase their in-game NFTs, let's say, on Ethereum and relay storage proofs on behalf of your users to your app chain. So the users are able to reap their assets utility and play with their assets on a chain without ever having to move it. Like you can ask yourself a question, would you feel comfortable bridging a board ape or a crypto punk to a chain that just released one week ago? Probably not. It's a very risky thing as we see uh, many hacks happen in the industry because it's all secured by like these bridges. Whereas with storage proofs, you're able to, let's say, play in the game based on an NFT proof. And the asset is not located there. So you don't even have to audit your chain because there's no economic value located there. If you get hacked, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, so it's going to be interesting how applications change the way they design their systems to accommodate storage proofs in, in the future. So, Casper, the world of uh, storage proofs open up just kind of so many possibilities, some of them really fun in the world of gaming, some of them maybe much more serious, you know, insurance and all sorts of areas. What are kind of things that, that you think we should be getting excited about in terms of how this technology actually takes blockchain and makes it more more usable, clearer use cases. Can you give us some insight? Sure. So we can give an example of how maybe an on-chain insurance protocol could use storage proofs to pay out claims. So let's say we're, we're buying cover against a vault getting hacked. It's an unlikely event, but it is possible. And if that event occurs, traditionally right now, what would end up happening is there would be a DAO that votes on like whether this was a hack, whether this was a manipulation on the operator side. But at the end of the day, all that really matters is, was the vault hacked? Is the balance there or is it not there? And this is very like black and white. It's a zero or a one. And uh, we can use storage proofs for developing optimized protocols that allow you to trigger such payouts immediately without having to do such a vote. You can generate storage proof that one month ago, that was the balance. Right now, it fell down by 95%. And if you fill that criteria, you can trigger a payout or something similar. What about in the world of voting? Before we started recording, we were speaking about a scenario where voting rights may involve actually, you know, something in the past that, you know, you were a member of a certain university or whatever other scenario. Take us through that. Yes. Yeah, so like right now, most voting platforms, they vote based on 
your holdings at a given point in, in time at a, like a snapshot. But uh, it's mostly limited to a current balance. Let's say you currently fulfill eligibility for being a member of a group. But what if you want to showcase, let's say last year, you had a token that you no longer have. Maybe there's like this expanded scope of audiences who you want to participate in the vote. All historical holders of, let's say, a CryptoPunk could be able to do some larger vote. With Storage Proofs, we have arbitrary access to historical data, and we can make these conditionals much more granular, much more fine-tuned. Do you think there's also potential for the technology itself to be used to create solutions that look back at Ethereum's history and give you a, a lot more data or insights? Um, you touched on earlier that as it stands now, it's been very difficult to go back, you know, the whole history of the Ethereum blockchain. Does this technology once and for all give us access and a clear view of the Ethereum blockchain? And do you see a lot of new solutions, whatever it is, being developed around that? Yes, absolutely. And uh, one of actually the most exciting solutions that you can build with this is like trustless on-chain verifiable data feeds, which can be viewed as an alternative to oracles. Mm -hmm. Like oracles, by definition, they state that there's an off-chain party that's observing the blockchain and reporting based on what's happening there based on a signature. Or for example, you can have an oracle that's attesting to, let's say, a data feed from Binance or Coinbase. With storage proofs, we can create, let's say, storage proofs for every single block in, let's say, a month, and we can do like a TWAP for, let's say, a Uniswap asset pairs price. And uh, that data is derived directly from the blockchain. It's verified on the to be correct on the blockchain and can be ingested by smart contracts also on the blockchain. So this is like the highest level of security that you can achieve for data. Of course, Uniswap and these fees could be manipulated if it's not, if there's no some sort of a security mechanism, but they do pose a very interesting way that uh, in the future protocols could like use fees for settlement or have a fallover. So one piece of the puzzle that we've not put in place in this discussion is how actually delivering scale makes this possible? How does scale drive the use of storage proofs? So maybe Liron can explain to us a little bit. One of the key pieces of what you're doing has been use of Sharp. Liron can tell us exactly what Sharp is and why mass scale is vital for the type of work that Casper is doing. So I will take this a level higher, like my previous answers. Today in production, the stock net transactions share a stock proof together with other apps. So we stock web power stock X apps and even a StockNet app chain, and they all share the same proof, not just the same prover, but the same uh, actual proof that gets submitted to Ethereum. And then Ethereum verifies this proof. And there's been some off-chain magic that combines multiple jobs from multiple different applications and instances and combines them together. And everybody benefits from this because of these economies of scale that I talked about before. Once you abstract this away from the blockchain, you don't actually need to send blockchain transactions. You can send data that you want proven. And this is where Herodotus comes. So Herodotus sends jobs to this sharp system that Starkware runs and benefits from this shared proving technology. That makes sense. I mean, to me, one of the key questions is driving the adoption of ZK technology in particular. And having watched over the last year, we've seen optimistic rollups. I mean, they're still there and they're still part of the scaling ecosystem but everyone else is developing ZK-based scaling technologies, and it seems like that is the right way to go for the, the scaling of Ethereum. Uh, Liron, maybe you can just chat a little bit about your experience getting developers and other projects on board using the technology stack, how natural that's been, and uh, where you see the next five years of the Ethereum ecosystem going and how different is it going to be? Because five years in this space is uh, a very long time. 
There's a lot to unpack there. I'll keep this brief. I think Vitalik in his endgame uh, blog post summarized it well. They said, in the medium term, optimistic roll-ups, in the long term, validity roll-ups, or he calls them ZK roll-ups. And uh, if you combine that with what he said on other podcasts, there is this vision. I mean, I don't know the timelines. I think within five years, it's reasonable that you're walking around with your smartphone and you're verifying uh, these proofs on your phone without even knowing it. And you can even run this light client that doesn't even exist today. That's just verifying proofs of the blockchain. And that really does unlock a um, huge scalability that you can really have real world applications. And I think that's why you see so many other teams trying to go in this direction of validity rollups, optimistic rollups. Also, they realize that you have to do the computation off chain. And this is the direction everybody has to head. Um, I, the final comment I'll say on this is um, the more the experience becomes like a Web2 experience, the better it is for the end user. You want that sort of the security of the blockchain while still maintaining traditional user experiences. And the math provides that. Exactly. If I've had, from all the conversations I've had with Ellie in the past, it, that's what it comes down to, right? Is, uh, there's math behind everything. You know, Even though it's off-chain, it's, uh, there's a lot of computation happening and then you're tapping into the finality of Ethereum's blockchain. A good analogy, people always wanted to use credit card payments. And before SSL, you couldn't really encrypt data and it wasn't secure. And then it came along and now we all use our credit cards. Now, I don't know how SSL encryption works, but I very comfortably use my credit card on the internet and most of my commerce is done there now. Mm -hmm. Similar thing will happen with these proofs. Yeah. Casper, um, maybe I can throw a final question to you just to wrap it up. As someone who's built a technology or a, you know, um, a solution of the technology that Starkware has had a hand in building, how did you go about figuring out what solution you wanted to provide? And do you think this is just the start of a variety of tools and services that you pulled in this ecosystem? Sure. So when we first started the company, the first thing we did is we talked to a lot of projects to kind of see how they're accessing data today. And some of the approaches that the projects had to work were concerning that you're securing, let's say, a huge amount of capital with two signatures or there was one project definitely not naming any names, but that was literally sourcing their data fees from Etherscan on a smart contract basis. And uh, that could be manipulated quite significantly. And we want to build, if we want to onboard a billion people to Web3, we want to ensure that the solutions that they're using are secure, that the hacks don't happen, that we are trusting, again, cryptography, not people. That was the main idea behind blockchain when they first were created. And that was the main inspiration for us to take this pathway and we're we're excited to essentially work with Starkware and their powerful technology on the Sharp and, and Starknet and the future app chains and enable this like cross-chain data access as well as this historical element which wouldn't have been possible without their tech. Perfect. Well, there you have it. Two very good uh, use cases that uh, hopefully we see come to fruition in the next few years. This brings us to the end of episode six of Zero Barriers, a, a special six-part series exploring the world of zero-knowledge rollups and the future of scaling blockchain technology. Thanks to Nathan, Liron, and Casper for sharing their insights in this series closing podcast. And if you missed the first five episodes, you can find them under Cointelegraph's podcast tab on our website. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan, Liron, and Casper for sharing your insights. That brings us to the end of episode five of Zero Barriers, our six-part series exploring the world of zero-knowledge rollups and the future of scaling blockchain technology. If you missed the first four episodes, you can find them under Cointelegraph's podcast tab. And we'll catch you next time for the final episode of the Zero Barriers podcast. Podcast.